Hi, and welcome to a brand new podcast called Magical Match, a place to hear about real people with real stories around the important topic of stem cell donation and transplants. In each episode, I'll be chatting with donors, recipients, those in supportive roles, and people who have been affected by either a personal experience or through another's inspirational story. It's my hope that by opening this conversation around stem cell donation, we can inspire more people to sign up to the Stem Cell Register, offering more hope to those in need. So today, it's a very warm welcome to my first guest on this inaugural podcast and the person who's inspired the creation of this podcast, actually, and that is Andy Mitchell. He's a father of two and he's currently a reception teacher who was inspired to become a stem cell donor. So welcome, Andy. Hi, thank you very much. So can you take us back to the start of your journey and how you became inspired to become a stem cell donor, please? Yeah, of course. Um, back in 2005, six, I'm not entirely sure what year it was, um, I come home from work. I was working in a, in a car factory. I came home from work, picked up the, the local newspaper, as you tended to do on the way home, and I was suddenly struck by the headline. Um, the main headline said, can you save Ella and Sam? Now, yeah. to most people, that probably didn't mean anything, wouldn't strike a chord, why should it? Uh, but in my case, my wife had not long given birth to our first child, who happened to be a girl and, and was called Ella. But had she been a boy, the, the name that we had chosen was Sam. And as it happens, we've since gone on to have Sam. So we, we, we've got our own Ella and Sam. And these two children were brother and sister, uh, aged about maybe four or five and three, four and two around that age. And they lived in Southport, so not too far from Liverpool. And they both had uh, an immune deficiency a disorder, which meant that they were desperately seeking a matching stem cell donor. And I think the hope was that if they could find a match for even just for one of them, say it was for Ella, then in time, Ella could then go on to become a match for her younger brother. Now, straight away, as soon as I saw it, I, I thought, oh, I have no option but to do it. And back then, uh, very different to now, the registration process required uh, blood samples to be taken. Um, so I sent off for the, the relevant equipment that Anthony Nolan uh, the charity they sent me some some blood bottles and some uh, some needles. Now my wife happens to be a nurse, so thankfully she That's was able lucky. to do that. Yeah, just by chance. <laughs> uh, so I didn't need to go to the GP or anything like that. I just needed to take some blood. As I say, really different now. So I know we'll we'll touch on that a bit later. Uh, so the the bloods were, were sent, packed off, and off they went back to to Anthony Nolan, and that was hit. That was it. I, sadly, I didn't hear anything to say I was a match for either Ella or Sam. Um, but in 2008, February 2008, I received uh, a letter with some more blood bottles and it, it said, we, we believe you may be a match for somebody. So as you can imagine, that came as quite a shock, uh, a nice shock. And I suppose a little bit of trepidation at that point, wondering, oh, what have I done? What have I signed up to? And yes. again, we sent off some more bloods and then it was, I, I was just waiting and over, the, over the, the next few months, it became clear that I was uh, deemed to be a suitable match uh, for a person unknown to me. All I was told was it was a male over the age of 16. Um, and I, since, well, obviously, I then went on later that year uh, to donate the stem cells. 
and I think that was the start of a very, very long, strange journey, an exciting journey, um, which which leads us here today. Yeah, exactly. And how how did you feel? I mean, first of all, did you know much about stem cell donation at all before you even signed up? Absolutely nothing, in all honesty. Um, aside from what it said in the Echo that night, um, it, it could have really said anything. I don't recall understanding what it meant. But I, I suppose back then, I thought, oh, it'll probably mean a week off work and I'm going to be really uncomfortable and all that. But I, I could, it couldn't have been further from the truth. Um, as it turned out, the process was just incredibly straightforward. And I, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even hesitate to, to, to think about it again. So it was it was really, really simple. Yes. Obviously, this was an emotional uh, response to the headline because of your own personal circumstances yeah. and we're doing this podcast because we're trying to encourage people to sign up and we're trying to encourage that emotional connection how have you found this over the over the years what did you go on to do next because I understand you um, started to get involved with Anthony Nolan uh, as a volunteer That's right. and and how did that sort of affect your day-to-day it, it, life yeah and- it, well it's, it's had a huge impact to be honest it happened literally within days um, of my donation back in what, it was in August 2008. So within days, I got wind that Anthony Nolan were doing some more promotion work with the the local newspaper, with The Echo. And bizarrely, um, somebody from Atomic Kitten, I think it was Liz, Liz McLaren from Atomic Kitten, um, who also happens to be a big Evertonian like me. uh, She was doing some (laughs) promotion work with Anthony Nolan and they asked me if I'd go along. And... I went along and I, I, I still remember I still had um, small bruises on the inside of my elbows where the donation had been taken from. Yeah. And I remember talking to to Liz from Atomic Kitten because she was asking about it. She was in, obviously we were introduced and Andy's been a donor, etc. just within the last few days. And she was like, oh my goodness, she thought, like me, I must have been through some traumatic experience. And I was like, oh, I've got these. And I showed her these little tiny bruises with little tiny Tons round plasters on. <laughs> no, like when you when you somebody takes blood and you get a little round plaster. I, I had those on my arms, and she was like, "Is that it?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, sorry, uh, I don't know what you're expecting, some sort of hero or something." I said, "It's really not what what people think it is." So from that day on, I became more and more involved in um, Anthony Nolan had a campaign, but which back then was called Register and Be a Lifesaver. And it was an education campaign set up by or inspired by a guy called Adrian Sudbury, um, who has since has since passed away, unfortunately. But Adrian did a great deal of work uh, lobbying the government. I think the prime minister back then was Gordon Brown, if I remember rightly. Right. And Adrian yeah. um, had gathered petitions and information and he, he lobbied Gordon Brown to set up an education programme in schools, which I know now... They've got an incredible success rate uh, where they've gone into six forms and colleges around the country speaking mm. to, to students about the importance of blood, organ and stem cell donation. And I know they've gone on to make a number of successful matches, which, which is fantastic. So I got involved in that right in the very early days. And it, 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 I suppose it inspired me a little. I found myself back in schools, which I've not been in since I left when I, well, when I was 17. Yeah. And I, I, I even went back to my old high school and I gave a talk to 300 sixth form pupils in my old 
uh, high school and I come home and the only way I can describe it, I can say I was, I was, I was buzzing, was pro- I know that sounds really, really corny in a cheap way to describe it, but I was, I was, I, I, that's the only way I can describe it. I was, I was excited by what I'd done and I could see a value in it and my wife was saying, I've told you that's what you should be doing, you should, you should be working with kids. And I was like, and do you oh, think this sort of did this sort of start to sort of change your career and tra- change your sort hugely. of outlook on what you wanted to do? Yeah, hugely. Because she 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 somehow managed to convince me that that would be the right thing to do, and I ended up. Long story short, I left Vauxhall's where I've been working for twelve years. Mm-hmm. I left there. I'd enrolled on an access course at uni. Did the access course, then did a degree, then did a PGCE. And I've now been teaching in reception or in year one for I think it's about six years now. I think I might be starting my seventh year, maybe. Um, so. And how are you finding it? Oh, I'm not sure I want to answer that one. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Shall we say that much? It's no, it's it's very very different, and it, it it's everything that um, maybe not everything I expected it to be, but every day is very different, and uh, and I, I like to think it makes a small difference maybe to people yes well you're you're inspiring people from a very young age you see i can't can't get um, them to be stem cell donors unfortunately a bit too young well no that's perhaps a bit too young isn't it and and we ought to also say that that um anthony nolan um they take uh people from 16 to 30 don't that's they right. and then you have um dkms as well and they take people from 17 to 55 that's right um so Going back to your actual donation, when mm-hmm. when you were going through the process, you'd received your letter, you'd received the um, the equipment you needed to use, yeah. and very luckily, obviously, you you have a wife who's a nurse who was able to help you out there. Yeah, yeah, it nice makes easy. it wonderful. And then, what was the process after that? Did you you, you presumably you sent back um, the samples to yeah yeah uh, I, I, I received registry. Received something back from Anthony Nolan to say, yeah, we think you are uh, the match that this patient has been looking for. So I was invited down to London uh, for a medical, first and foremost. Again, everything taken care of by Anthony Nolan. I didn't have to do anything. I was sent train tickets. I was sent hotel details with the bookings and everything like that. So I travelled down to London. I had the, the most complete medical, chest x-rays. Everything was checked. Because and when I was asking about it, I said, "But the process seems so easy." Why? And they said, "We just want to make sure that you're looked after. That everything is okay from your perspective." Because the last thing, while they're trying to save one person, the last thing they want to do is put somebody else at any kind of risk and end up with two yeah. ill patients, yeah. if, if you like. So um, they, I, I couldn't. They couldn't have been more thorough. Everything was checked, and I was given a full MOT and a, a clean bill of health. And then it was arranged that in the Four or five days, I think it was five days leading up to um, the donation. I, a nurse came to wherever I was. At one point, I was at a wedding, and she actually came to the wedding. And I was given uh, an injection called, I think it was called GCSF, as I remember. That's probably irrelevant. But, yes, I think that's um, a stem cell factor, it, isn't it? Was it was basically a hormone, and yes. it made my bones work that little bit harder for those couple of days producing extra stem cells. So by day five, when the, the donation was due to take place, uh, my body was flush with, with additional stem cells. Um, day four, I traveled down to London again, 
all taken care of, as, as I said, by Anthony Nolan. And then uh, day five, arrived at the hospital, and I was then hooked up to the uh, to the machines that take the stem cells. And I think for a lot of people, I think there's this misconception about uh, the, the way the process works. In my case, and in 90% of cases, I was, um, my donation was via something called PBSC, peripheral blood stem cell um, donation, which was just, in, in layman's terms, it was just like giving blood. Uh, I lay on a bed with a needle in one arm, which was taking the blood out. The blood then passed through uh, essentially a cell-separating machine. Yeah. The stem cells were, were fed off into, into one bag and the rest of the blood was returned to me via a needle in my other arm. So essentially I was sat on a bed with a needle in each arm. I could watch it. Back then we didn't have... Um, I didn't have all Twitter and Facebook and all of those things. I don't think. So I was I was forced to watch cricket. Would you believe? Um, so that was probably the most painful part of the whole process because the nurse who was look the guy who was looking after me he was a uh, South African guy and I think South Africa were playing England at cricket and I was forced to watch it, which wasn't uh, and what, do you wasn't know, great. Can you remember who won? I couldn't care less. No, I've got no idea. Uh, I couldn't have been less interested. Uh, so that was the only negative, really, of the whole process. It was that. And when you've got a needle in one arm and a needle in the other, it's quite difficult when you need a wee. And yeah. if it, as much as this guy offered to help, that wasn't going to happen. So I did have to persevere uh, and wait until the donation was over. But, um, yeah, incredibly straightforward, really easy, except for when the nurse, except for when he took the plaster off when he tried to remove the needle, when he ripped the plaster and it made the hairs on your arms sting. So I was a little oh, was bit... That, was that the hardest part? It was. was that, it was honestly was. <laughs> well, my donation, my donation was over two days. So at the end of day one, I, uh, they didn't have a sufficient number of, uh, of cells. So I went back to the hotel for the night um, and then returned to the hospital the next morning. And before I did, I thought, right, you're not doing that again. So I, I shaved my forearms. So, so that on day two, uh, on day two of this donation, which was off to save lives, and this big hero, I turned up with ball patches on my arms where I knew the needles were going to go, so that they couldn't hurt me again. So is that 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 would we are not advising people to do that, by the way. Um. <laughs> That's just how brave I was. <laughs> So I think there will be our listeners will be um, interested in this in this story and particularly around the actual process because for for quite a number of us and probably you know we're we're in our I hope I can say we're in our forties and um, for yourself you know yeah yeah twenty five yeah I think there's a lot of people our age that have like you say this misconception that yeah. it's really painful and. You know, and as you say, ninety percent of um, of stem cell donation is done by this peripheral machine. I think people will probably be wanting to know how it, you felt afterwards. Did you feel? Were you feeling tired because you know were okay. you know, iron levels or anything affected? Um, you know, did did you feel fatigued at all um, by doing this? In, in reality, a little bit. Like you'd had a bit of a long day at work, I suppose. But so on on day one, I returned to the hotel, and I remember I had my evening meal, and there was there was football on that evening. Mm. I sat, I had a couple of beers, I watched the football in the hotel, and then I went off to bed. I don't know, eleven o'clock, 
so not overly overly tired or anything i wasn't in bed early then day two it was back to the the hospital early in the morning hooked up to the machine donated by about two o'clock i'd had lunch done a little spot of shopping because it was my wife's birthday <laughs> i was i was down in london uh so done a little bit of shopping i jumped the train back to lime street in liverpool got home and then we went out for a meal uh, and a couple of drinks and then i came home and that was as i recall that was a friday so then i had the weekend where i was obviously i was off with and then i was back in work building cars again on the monday so neither so essentially there. not nothing Nothing more than you would. You've had a you've had a a day. I I suppose a little bit tired. You know something's different, but you you're not. It was no worse than than anything else. Certainly, I didn't feel ill or anything like that. I wasn't falling asleep or I didn't feel. I suppose the the hormones that I had in the couple of days before, because your bones have worked a little bit harder. I guess it was like as if I'd done a lot of gardening or something like that, or played football. Yeah. When I shouldn't, you, you're kind of aching the next day. Felt a little bit yeah. like that, but other than that, absolutely not. I'd say I was back building cars again on shifts on, on the Monday without any any ill effects at all. So I think that's a really encouraging sign, actually, for everybody listening, that it you know it's not something that, that hurts. You might just feel a bit overtired yeah. for a couple of days. In, the, in those early days when, when I, I talked about that Register and Be a Lifesaver campaign, yeah. I, I'd, I'd, I'd be speaking to people... Sometimes mm. it was it was children sixteen to eighteen in sixth form. Sometimes it was in colleges and they'd be up to maybe their early twenties. Mm. And there was people and I'd be looking at them and they'd be going, Oh, don't know if I could do that, needles, or oh, don't really like needles. And they they had piercings and tattoos. And I was yes. like, You've got a tattoo. And <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't dream of getting a tattoo, not a chance would I get a tattoo. Um, I would love to, but I'm just not brave enough because I know too many people who've had them and I know how much it hurts. There is not a chance I would do that. And they were saying, oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, I said, but once the needle's in, it's in. It doesn't hurt for two, three hours. It's in, it hurts for that like little tiny second. I said, that tattoo hurt you a lot more than than anything I did. Same with a piercing. I can't even imagine how, how painful that must be. No, I think I think that's that's perhaps the youth of today where they, you know, mm-hmm. they're not sort of correlating the two. And and actually it's so easy to be able to sign up as well because it only takes what a couple of minutes with a well, now, cheek swab. Yeah, exactly that. It's 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 yeah. a saliva sample, isn't it? From the inside of your mouth. It's just it's it's and we can talk now about I think we're all aware of swabs now because of um what we've been through in the last couple of years with COVID. These yeah saliva swabs are, are nowhere near as intrusive or as difficult uh to take the uh, as, as covid swabs are it's literally you you, you rub the the cotton bud for want of a, a better description around the inside of your cheeks and you do one swab on one cheek one on the other pop them in the post and and that's it you'll within four or five weeks you'll receive a card to say right you're on the register and for me i know i've i've spoken to you before and i've said for me that is the the big deal the the joining of the register is the most important part of the whole process because the rest of it the, the finding out you're a match and going on to donate uh, honestly that's that's a bonus the joining the register and and being bothered enough to join the register that's the big deal that's the moment that you i or anybody else that's the moment they volunteered and said i'll help if i can now mm-hmm. i was lucky that i was able to 
the the success or otherwise of the donation had absolutely nothing to do with me. I was just the the vehicle. I was just the one carrying the stem cells. By chance, it was through nothing that I'd done. So I had no impact whatsoever or no effect whatsoever on the success or otherwise of, of the transplant. By putting my hand up years before in response to the campaign for Ella and Sam's donors, yeah. that was that was the moment that I'd done something really, really good. The donation afterwards isn't the, 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 the big deal. The, the big deal is the day that you say, do you know what, I'm going to do that. And you send off or you go online and you fill in the questionnaire and you get your mouth swabs and you pop them back. That's the bit. The day you post them back, that's the bit. That's the big deal. That's the big, the, the bit where people deserve a pat on the back when they've done that. I take more satisfaction now from knowing that I've informed other people and they've gone on to, to, to join the register than I do from the donation. The donation, well, as I say, that was the bonus. That was that was the good bit. And I think also your um, the opportunity, as we were saying on on a previous conversation, the opportunity to become a donor, an actual donor, um, once you've actually signed up to the register, is currently about one in eight hundred, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I know when I first donated, they were saying it was only one in every thousand, and now I've I've recently read one in every eight hundred. Now that's good that it's improved. That the chances have improved, but. When you think somebody could join the register at, at 16, potentially, and they're on it, I think, until their 61st birthday, I think you stay on the register until then. Yeah, I think To think you can be on it that long and never, ever go on to be a match or to donate is incredible. To think that only one person in every 800 will ever do that. So people need to understand that just by joining the register. The odds are you'll never, ever go on to, to, to do anything you'll never need to no, but the, the but big it, deal is you've put your hand up and said I will if I'm needed and when that match yeah. is, is being searched when those database databases are being searched if you're not there you will never ever be a match the chances are infinite uh, against you ever being a match but if you are you're just giving that hope to somebody who, who may need it yeah, and 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 speaking as um, if I may, as a bereaved parent mm-hmm. um, to a son who went through a stem cell transplant, it's so crucial to know, and it's so wonderful to know that there are people who are willing to say yes, because you know the minute you are told, you're, there's a lot of waiting, but the minute you're told that there is somebody who has agreed, who has has, has sort of signed the piece of paper and is going through the medical. It's a huge sense of relief to know that you have an opportunity. And like you say, when, you're, when you make that sort of mental and, and perhaps emotional decision um, to sign up, because it may be for somebody that you know, it may mm-hmm. be for somebody that, that you have a connection to in some way, like yourself, to be able to make that decision and then to sign up, that gives... Somebody somewhere, I think there's about 70,000 people at any one time in the globe who are waiting for a stem cell donor. And, you know... So that, that clock is, is, is against them, isn't it? That time is, is ticking. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, the registers are searched, and clearly, if they're still waiting, there's, the, there are no matches, but they're out there somewhere. And, and they, you've they just got to hope that we... Not we, but we, we hope that people who... Are, who are concerned that are reaching those people and, and getting that message across that yeah. it's something you should do. Yeah, there's 
whatever it is, two billion mm. people in the world, and at least half of those people could probably be on the stem cell register. Yeah, well, and it would give so many more people hope. I think in the UK, I, I read recently, only 2% of the eligible population are registered as stem cell donors. So where do the other 98% think that their matches are going to come from as and when someone in their family or someone they love is affected by by blood cancer or leukemia it's yeah. it's it's that that baffles me and i know we we've talked before and it's that idea that people wait until they're affected and it is reaching out and explaining to people there's got to be a reason and an inspiration for you to join the register mine was a headline in a newspaper yours was sadly because your, your son was ill and I think people think, well, if my son got ill, I'll be a match for them. And unfortunately, we know that the odds on that are very, very slim again, because I think the statistics tell us that only 25% of people who look for a match will find one from a family member. So again, 75% of those people are looking for me or you or yeah. danger who's bothered to join the register and it, it, it's it's getting that across that I, I, I just I for me because I've done it I know it's, it's easy for me to say I can't understand why anyone wouldn't want to do it but that's that's easy when when you, you're so involved I guess um, and that yeah that's led us here today I suppose yeah. and that's exactly why we're here today with regard to your um, recipient mm-hmm. he has a name now He's no yeah. longer just a number or a, or a recipient what? anymore. Are you allowed to, to Certainly. say it's, his it's, name? It, yeah, it's public knowledge. I was fortunate enough that my recipient uh, got in touch. He made contact because obviously the donation process is all anonymous and yes. it's kept that way for two years post-transplant. Um, and it's and to protect the donor as much as it is to protect the recipient. That's right, it? yeah. Um, yeah. And I was asked at the time of the donation, um, if your recipient would like to make contact in the future, would you consent to that? And I personally couldn't see any reason why not. So I said, yeah, of course. And then that was it. After about six months, I received a letter from Anthony Nolan to say that the transplant had taken place within a matter of, well, I now know it, it happened the next day. The day after I donated the cells, I know they were they were um, transplanted into into the recipients, and I received, as I say, six months later, I received a letter to say the transplant's all gone well, recipient is is in recovery, essentially is doing okay, and then about it was about two years. Well, I know I know exactly how long it was because it's in a card that I received. I received a card saying, "Dear donor, I am now two years and three months post transplant." And just want to say thanks, basically for for what you did for me. Uh, I'm doing well. And how, how did that? How did that make you feel? How did you? How did you feel when you were opening that that piece of paper? Um, it's a, it's a, I don't know. It's a strange strange way to describe it, but I kind of felt like it justified what I'd done. I didn't feel it's a bit like what I said to you before. I don't feel responsible for the fact that it it was a success, and I think I'd convinced myself early very early on I remember thinking about this on the train back to Lime Street on the on the day of the donation thinking I've no idea if this is going to work but I'm not going to take the blame if it doesn't if it ended sadly which thankfully it didn't little uh, little sneak preview for everyone listening there <laughs> yeah. if it had ended badly I couldn't I couldn't reproach myself because 
I'd done all I could possibly do by by joining the register in the first place, and then obviously going through with the donation is as much as the the donor can do. The the rest of it is down to the magic of science, good luck, and whatever people tend to believe in. It's mm-hmm. it's entirely down to that. And I I so if I can't take the blame, the way I see it is I don't take the credit either. So I was kind of I, I suppose it was a satisfaction that I felt was probably the the best way to describe it. I'm happy to know that this guy's in, in yeah. because I've, yeah. I've used the analogy before. I've said to people before, if you walk past and, and saw someone fall in a canal, what would you do? And they say, well, I'd jump in and save them. Yeah. I say, well, I'm not even asking you to get wet. I just want you to to, to a mouth swab and send it off. It's the yeah. same for me. I, I say it the same way. You've got the chance to save someone's life without risking yours. You do, you're not doing anything. That is, that's, a really, any danger. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. You're not... You just wouldn't walk past and leave them. Yeah. You, you jump in and, and help them. That, that, as I say, that was kind of how I approached it. And I say, thankfully, we, know, we now know it worked. And my recipient, who's Paul, by the way, we didn't mention that. Paul <laughs> is, uh, is now living, I believe he's in Paris at the moment. Last time we spoke, he was in Paris. And mm-hmm. he's now approaching 14 years post-transplant later this year. Um, that's incredible and is is loving life and yeah and it is obviously is fully recovered which which is fantastic um that is really amazing because you know i think also when you say about not you know not blaming yourself and not thinking about it and just giving the 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 gift and then sort of stepping away what you're actually doing i mean for this gentleman he's obviously gone on to be able to you know live his life to the full yeah and 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 maybe that's changed his life in a different way as well maybe sure. he's gone on to I'm do sure. something that he wasn't previously doing before yeah. he was poorly so you know there are so many benefits to to becoming a donor not least saving a life well that's you know, one of at least giving yeah. yeah giving somebody extra time with their family it's it's, 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 it's provided really it's provided me with all sorts of opportunities doing something like this is one example but it, it does it provides you with opportunities that you never saw coming you, you had no reason to think i've had these conversations with other people other people have gone on to join the register it, it it's i don't know it's it's kind of become the norm for me now to to speak to people and try and explain it not in a way that oh hello how are you right would you like to be a stem cell donor i'm not quite <laughs> yeah. it's not quite to, to, to that level but whenever people say, for example, how come you're a teacher or what did you do before you were a teacher? The yes. story will inevitably lead back to, well, what happened was, and then you, you end up kind of explaining the journey to becoming a teacher. And they're, they're like, well, so you left your job, you took a big risk. I, by the way, I was in my, well, I was approaching, what, I would have been early 30s at that point when I donated yeah. and then. I've got I'm maybe 35, left my job of 12 years, mortgage, two kids. Everyone thought I was bonkers, and here I am. Maybe I, maybe I yeah, was. Yeah, I, I think know. I think sometimes these yeah these but these things happen in life. Yeah, don't I'm, they? I'm not one and for you... to be all I suppose spiritual or or karma or fate or anything like that. I'm not really into anything like that. But it was it was one of them life's too short moments. Yeah. And, and you think, can take an opportunity. So I, I saw something and I thought, if I don't do it, I might regret it. So let's go for it. And here we are. And here you are. Here we are. Yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> and now I just want to touch on the Blues v Cancer. You, uh, yeah. You've set this up on Twitter and the 
uh, the name is At Blues V Cancer mm. and, and people can obviously follow you. So how did that come about? I suppose for me, be, being an evidence, football's a massive part of, part of my life and always, always has been. And there seems to be all these coincidences that, that run through this this whole story. Um, when I when I was a kid, bizarrely, and you mentioned this guy before, bizarrely, when I was a kid, my favourite footballer was Glenn Hoddle. And he didn't play yeah. for Everton. Yeah, I think at that point he was at Tottenham. But for some reason, when I was about seven, six or seven, I had a Chelsea kit, which was very weird. And that'll make sense. That'll make sense soon. That'll so, make sense to people who are real, you know, major football fans. Doesn't, doesn't make sense. Why is an Evertonian who like Glenn Hoddle wearing the Chelsea kit? I don't know. One of my first kits was it was a Chelsea kit. And then as I've gone gone through life, obviously football players played a massive part. And even at the the point of the donation, when the stem cells have been collected, the nurse who was called Granty threw the bag of cells to me. And it had my name and it had some details on. And he said, have you got a, any message for them? And a little bit of corny, a little bit embarrassing. Secretly to myself, I gave the, the little bag of stem cells a kiss and I gave them a little message. And it was it was a motto related purely to Everton. And it just means nothing but the best is good enough. And that was that was the message that I gave the, the, the stem cells. And off they went. And I thought oh, no more is, about it. That is just lovely. Andy. I'm Horribly corny, there, though. That, that, it might be corny, but I have heard that people who've who've donated their stem cells have given the stem cells a kiss. Yeah, it's just a good love message. It is, but it's but it really means so much. When when Ben had his stem cells, we also blew kisses to the stem cells. Yeah, I believe you. And go. said thank you. I, it's it, it, I bet you that that story will will come out well, from a number of so. other people. That's wonderful. Yeah, off they went. So then when Paul got in touch and we eventually arranged to meet up and his wife, him and his wife, arranged to, to come up to Liverpool. And it was quite funny to find out they were under the impression that their donor was from Germany. For some reason, they were convinced they'd seen something in his notes and they thought, oh, oh we're going to get a trip to Germany. Anyway, I think they were <laughs> slightly disappointed when they had to come to Liverpool. And I... I Took them the match. That's that's what it did. <laughs> we, we we met at a hotel in town, and then I made arrangements to take them to the Everton game. So off we went to Goodison. Oh, Friday, magic! And we went the match, <laughs> and then had a few beers, and then we went out for the evening for for a meal and everything. And it turns out Paul was also a, a big football fan, but he, but he was a Chelsea fan. That took me back to that so, first ever kit, hence the, the <laughs> connection. So it took me right back to then. Over the years, football, it's a shock me how much football has been affected by similar stories to uh, to Paul's and, and to Ben's, unfortunately. Um, mm. Whether it be footballers themselves, whether it be family members, mm. it, it's because I follow it, it. There seems to have been an awful lot of cases where people have been affected by it. And then in July 2020, I heard about... Um, a former Everton player, Gary Stevens, his young son Jack. Uh, Gary was living in Australia, or is living in Australia. His young son Jack had fallen ill and had relapsed, and was in need of a stem cell donor. So I've always thought of football as the perfect demographic for people who should really go on to donate because we know because we're involved that the best donors uh, tend to be young and male. Yeah. And 
football appears to have that that perfect age, uh, that perfect demographic to make the best uh, the best matches. So I came up with the the name of Blues Against Blood Cancer, but it's too long for a, a Twitter handle. So the account is actually called Blues Against Blood Cancer, but the Twitter handle is Blues V Cancer, which isn't quite as quite as catchy, but it was all I could fit. In the, in the character restrictions, unfortunately. But it's still known, you see. Yeah, it's well, within a few thousand people, it seems. And so from then on, I set about trying to use Gary's story along with my own and the, the experiences because Everton had, had looked after Paul and I on one of his visits to Liverpool and they'd given us a little bit of awareness, a bit of publicity around an Everton-Chelsea game. Mm-hmm. Um, Everton had looked after us and as I say we'd been on the pitch and met some players and they'd done a little bit of PR for Anthony Nolan so I was kind of trying to tie all that together and set out just to use the account to, to educate and inform people because so many people would have known this this Gary Stevens as, as a player and I felt like it would have been important to them to do their best to help him now sadly it, it, it all came a little too late for Jack and uh, a few months back, Jack passed away, sadly. But that shouldn't detract from the the, the cause. And I, I'm going to keep Blues Against Blood Cancer going as long as as long as I can retain any any interest in it. Not not for me. As long as people retain an interest in it, uh, I'm going to keep that going and try to to boost it. And I know that there are other people using football. I know there's a lady in Scotland up in talking to recently she's trying to to do something in scotland through football as well so i'm hoping that it'll grow i know there's a group of manchester united fans are doing something similar so i'm hoping that it, it, can, it can continue to grow and at some point who knows they may all come together and form one big uh one big family i don't know that would be fantastic but for the time being i'm gonna keep plugging away in my own little way to try and see if i can reach as many people as possible I think that's exactly what, you know, this will help as well, hopefully. I hope so, hope so. I hope so too, very much so. So this has been a wonderful chat, Andy, and um, uh, it's been really, really lovely to have you on in this very first podcast. I hope that this will reach many people. Fingers and crossed. if you had a message, well, if you had a message to people listening right now, what would you say to them if they were considering becoming a donor? I would say... Go on the website, go to DKMS, go to Anthony Nolan, whichever one is, is, is best for you in terms of your age. Go on the website, have a look and find out the information. See for yourself just how easy it is and spend a minute in somebody else's shoes. Now, I don't mean this to, to, to upset anybody, but to take a minute in your shoes, for example, as, as a parent of a, of a child who needed a stem cell transplant, just take a minute to, to think how you would feel if that was someone you loved. I, I think people would, would walk to the ends of the earth to find a match for someone they loved or, or for themselves. So don't wait. Don't leave it until it's too late. Go on tonight. Find out the information. And if you're eligible, if you think it's for you, then do the good thing and join the register. And I think that is a wonderful way to bring this podcast to uh a wonderful conclusion so just to say i'm very very grateful to um my very first guest andy mitchell for giving up his time today and sharing his story with us and for our listeners i hope you have found today's conversation both interesting and inspiring 
As a sparkly new podcast, we are looking for guests to share their inspirational stories. So if you have one, we would love to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter at, at MagicalMatchPod and you can DM me there if you would like to give any feedback or if you would like to join me to share your story. If you've enjoyed listening to today's episode and do like and subscribe to the podcast and if you have time, you could even write a review. In the meantime, we'll be back very, very soon. But as Andy says, if you're thinking about doing it, please sign up because you could be somebody's magical match. Thanks very much for listening. Magical Match Podcast is an OB Hive production, originally inspired by a conversation with Andy Mitchell and other like-minded individuals. Magical Match Podcast is hosted and produced by Ginny Walker with audio production by James Walker and music by Cobalt Ocean.